Welcome to the Solo BG Podcast. In this podcast, we talk about solo and cooperative games. We also bring you news, audio unboxings, Kickstarter updates, and interviews with amazing personalities around the industry. We hope you enjoy this episode. And now, here's your host, Derek Rodriguez. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Solo BG Podcast. Wow, it's been a month since we were here talking with you at the other side of the speaker, and we are so happy to be here with you again. And I said we because for the second time uh, straight in a row, my friend Jonathan is with me, and I like this. I love it because in that way, you just don't hear my voice. <laughs> you hear also Jonathan's voice, and we can, you know, talk about a game, discuss our opinions, tell our impressions, and all that good stuff. So episode one. 12. Before I uh, give the microphone to Jonathan, I want to go ahead and really quick say hi to all the amazing listeners and listen to, uh, check out the last episode once again, episode 111. I believe that was the interview with my good friend Ricky Royal, uh, you know, you or Richard uh, Wilkins. So if you haven't checked out that interview, please do after this one. It's a pretty cool interview where we go in depth into the, you know, the origins of Ricky Royal or Box of the Lights, and we go and talk about crazy games from way back, like, um, you know, Pathfinder the card game, Arkham Horror First Edition, and things like that. So it's a very interesting interview. So check it out as soon as this episode is done. Uh, the top countries that they listened to the last episode, and this is my way to say hi and thank you to all of you amazing listeners, United States, United Kingdom, Canada, Germany, Australia, Spain, Netherlands, Greece, Mexico, and Belgium. And the top cities were Sydney, uh, uh, New South Wales, Frankfurt in Germany, uh, Red Deer, Alberta, uh, Calgary, Alberta, Chicago, Illinois, Melbourne, Victoria, Seattle, Washington, Athens, Attica, Radford, Virginia, and Nashville, Tennessee, which, by the way, I will be in Nashville, Tennessee uh, this month because I'm publishing the episode on July. So I'm going to be towards the end of the month to watch uh, SummerSlam WWE, why not? So don't judge me. Jonathan, I know you're becoming a huge fan of WWE recently. That's what I heard somewhere. I am going to a Comic-Con in Pittsburgh in August, and apparently Ric Flair is going to be there. So, <laughs> okay. uh, so <laughs> Was this after or before our, our, our Missouri trip where we go and play games? Oh, this will be after, this will be um, in August of this year. So oh, it's gonna yeah, hasn't yeah, happened yet. It's, but. Gonna, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. So yeah. you, sh- you should. You, I should give you something to sign. Or Caleb probably will be better at, at you know trying to get something <laughs> from here since he can imitates him very well. Apparently, he used to do speeches or something when he was coming to towards the ring. So I don't know. It will, it will be a cool episode to bring Caleb and tell us about fighting or wrestling or pro wrestling. Whatever you want to call it, we have four games, Jonathan, we got, that we're gonna approach tonight, and uh, four games that you know we've been playing together recently. So that might be interesting. Before we go into that, uh, let's take the the time machine. Either we can do it through Doctor Who, or we can do it through the DeLorean. However you want to do it, or why not do it like Terminator and go back to the to before uh, Skynet destroy everything? And I'm going back to December 21 of 2018. Because back then, uh, I talked about a game that you had it. I think you sold it. I don't know if you still have it. But the three of us, we got it. And we played it a few times. And it's it's mostly a solo game. Um, But it's it's still fun. And I still have my little box here uh, somewhere. And, you know, I've been playing it most recently on the app. But I would like to bring it to the table again. And I'm talking about One Deck Dungeon. 
Um, you used to have that one, Jonathan? I think I have the original one. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I sold the expansion, which is mostly the same thing. It, it's added like poison or another mm -hmm. mechanic and more bosses and stuff. But I still have the original, I believe. Although I am trying to sell it. Yeah. Um, mostly just because that was like one of my first solo games. But I feel like, especially for me, not as much of a solo gamer. Um, I have other ones that I enjoy more for that experience. And it does have a, the app is pretty good. Yeah. Um, it kind of takes away some of the, um, you know, the hassle of, you know, rolling the dice over and over again and, yeah. you know, doing that. And so, um, although I guess I'll see, I think one deck galaxy is coming out this year, maybe at Gen Con finally. So yeah. I don't know if it's going to be any different, but I still kind of want to check that out just to see what that looks like. Yeah. So one of the characteristics of the game, of course, is that, um, you got, I think it got released in 2017 or 2018 at most. Um, and is of course you can play it cooperative, but it's mostly designed, you know, to enjoy it as a solo, I believe. Um, and it's also a good intro, kind of like an intro game for solo gamers, but also a good game that, you know, if you're one of those persons that you travel a lot and you, you, you know, you're spending a lot of times either in, in hotels or things like that or airports, it's kind of like those games that, you know, if you're also like me, that you prefer the physical stuff rather than the digital version. Well, this is a game that you can take it very easily everywhere. Another uh, great characteristic about the game is that it was one of the first games, I believe, that had... Uh, only female characters and a pretty, you know, badass female characters. You know, you have the paladin, the rogue, uh, the wizard. And I think that was uh, also a pretty cool aspect of the game. Personally, I think the galaxy theme, I will enjoy it way more than, you know, medieval dungeon uh, theme. But, you know, I think anyway, even if it's the same mechanic, I will probably end up with a copy once, once it's out. And, you know, I'm looking forward. Do you remember any other game besides... One deck dungeon, uh, either prior or after, that it has just female characters as uh, you know as as the main ones, I guess. Not that I'm aware of. Um, right. I, I mean, I guess that's not one thing that I like pay attention to a hundred percent. I mean, I feel like a lot of them do. You know that you may have a paladin, and you know, on one side it's a man, and one side it's a female character. But um, I can't think of one before that that was yeah. Um, all just like that. So I think they, they did a good job by, you know, setting that precedent of like, hey, you know, we can do this as well. And he's cool and he's badass. So, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was a, it was a great time. And and uh, every time that I play One Deck Dungeon, like I said, recently I played at the airport uh, probably about a month ago, uh, but it was a digital version. It was it was it, it works pretty well. So there you go. We talk about One Deck Dungeon. That was in December 2018. Now bring to the present. Um, we have four games that we're going to talk about. Um, you know, I'm just going to tell you a spoiler right off the bat. We're going to talk about Tiny Tiny Towns uh, from AEG. Uh, we're going to talk about Furnace, uh, also from our, uh, that's from Arcane Wonders, Ten Penny Parks, which that's from Thunderwork Games, and we're going to talk about one of Jonathan's favorites, a spoiler alert, Hellboy, the board game, and that is uh, published by Mantic Games, the same publisher that just, uh, I believe they just lost their rights or the contract ended, uh, but they were uh, bringing also the, the Walking Dead, the miniature games, uh, All of War, which is one of my uh, favorites in a with a sentimental value because it was one of my big purchases on a Gen Con. So, uh, and Jonathan and I, we have like, some cool stories when, when we play, you know, The Walking Dead back oof, probably three years ago. Uh, but anyway, those are the four games that we're going to be talking tonight. And, 
you know, without and without extending any further, let's just jump in and let's talk about games because that's why you are here and that's why we're here for as well. The first one that I want to bring to the table, Jonathan, is Tiny Towns. And I'm going to give you really quick the specifications or the technical, uh, you know, data that we can find on BoardGameGeek. And it's uh, rank overall is 357. Uh, 7.3 is the rating. Tiny Towns published in 2019. Plan well as you build your town one building at a time. Will it fit? Well, that's what we're going to discuss, Jonathan, here on the on the podcast. You can play it one to six players. Uh, the community thing it plays best at three. Uh, 45 to 60 minutes is the playing time. Age 14 year old plus. Uh, and with a weight complexity of 2.0 out of 5. The designer is Peter McPherson. Uh, the artist is Gong Studios and the publisher it's AEG, or also known as Alderac Entertainment Group, which, by the way, big disclosure out here, um, they sent me a copy uh, for the game for review purposes, my good friend, which I say hi, uh, to Vladimir Orellana. Hopefully, you know, I will get a chance again to see him at Gen Con and, and you know, try to try the upcoming games. But anyway, this uh, copy was sent to me completely free by AEG for review purposes. So, you know that anyway, I will tell you my honest opinions on the game but i i feel like you deserve to know that as well uh so anyway tiny towns what are we doing in tiny towns jonathan well as you can remember we played this a few weeks ago um you played it also before i played it before also a few times i already tried solo as well basically we're going to try to be building our town and this is the most closest thing that i can probably think of i guess it with the same word that we can get as close as a roll and write game but in physical without the roll and write so basically, at the beginning of the game, with the base game, we're going to have some uh, cards, we know, tarot-sized cards, and those cards will have different shapes of buildings that we can try to build in our little grid. I don't remember exactly the grid, but I think it's a 5x5 five five grid or 6x6. Six six. Um, then from there, also, each building will have different, different abilities or different conditions in order to score points towards the end of the game. For example, the village, which is one that I remember, the village won't give you any point by itself. But if you're able to feed a village, uh, you know, with another type of building, then you can get victory points for those villages as well. And certain uh, uh, buildings, they can only feed up to four villages. Things like that. You can build a theater, which it will give you some other cool abilities. You can build a factory, and that can give you some cool abilities as well. Or ultimately, you can build a dwell, which is the lowest of the you know powerful buildings i guess if you want to call them some in that way uh but that one is which is going to score you straight out the bat like one point for every adjacent village that you can place on the game and that's it the cool thing about the game is that those buildings that you're trying to achieve you can uh, build them in any orientation uh you know you can mirror the the effect of the card as well and uh, another cool thing about the game is that it puts you on that uh, tense situation where you if you you know if you don't have any space to build anything else well that's it all right so how is going to work at the beginning of each everybody's turn you know someone is going to be the first is going to be the first player you're going to get the cool first player token which is hammer uh and then you're going to choose a resource you have wood you have crystal you have iron and wheat so you're going to choose any of the resources that you want but the gimmick of the game is that let's say i choose uh wheat then, uh, you know, Erica and Jonathan and Lauren, if they're playing with me, well, they have to also pick a weed as well, and they have to place it on their grid. Then it's going to be, for example, Jonathan's turn, and he will choose Crystal. So then we all are going to have to pick Crystal and place it on our grid. 
as we are filling out these spaces with these resources, then at any point we can try to build a building, clear some of the resources out of the way, and then keep going, so on and so forth. So once the round is complete, then the first player marker is going to go to the next player on your left, and then they're going to choose a resource, and we're going to keep going, so on and so forth, until, um, you know, players basically get done with their city or the tiny town, better said. So at some point, if you don't have any more space on the grid and you cannot build anything else, that's it. You're out of the game. And if other players still remain with spaces or with empty spaces, I should say, they're going to keep going until everyone is, do is done with their tiny town. So at that point, we're just going to score, go score uh, points, I'm sorry, depending on the you know, buildings that we were able to build in our town, but also uh, paying attention to the conditions of or the abilities of each building because some of them take, give, can, they can give you, uh, you know, victory points or in certain conditions at the end of the game. I have to mention as well that at the beginning of the game, you're going to start with a special building that is going to give you some type of special unique power to your town, uh, which is usually going to be, you know, you know, it's another way to either get more points or to uh, mitigate the effect of placing the, the resources. In that way, you can have a, a little bit of more, you know, management over those. In that way, you know, you're not following necessarily whatever everybody is dictating. But the randomness of those ability can, in, can go, you know, from one thing that it's completely makes sense to another thing that, you know, it's, it's going to be very weird to happen. So that's where the replayability comes in play as far as like every character usually or every uh, you know player in every game will have a different ability every time. And that's basically, you know, tiny towns in a nutshell. Uh, the game will come with uh, different uh, buildings. You will have the basic ones, which is basically the ones that I just described, but you're going to have more advanced buildings that you can mix. You're supposed to shuffle those buildings at the beginning of the game, and that way you have a different experience every time. Also, you shuffle your unique buildings, and that way the experience is different every time. And that will, like I said, already add value to a replayability. If you play solo, well, basically, you are trying to beat, you know, kind of like a beat your own score. So you're going to have the same challenge. It's going to play very similarly. It's just a way of, I guess, training or preparing you, you know, to get a higher score. And in that way, when you play with real people, well, you're, you're more like uh, guided on what to do under certain conditions and certain abilities and certain type of buildings. And that's Tiny Towns, my friend Jonathan. We played it recently here at my house, actually. Uh, like I mentioned, you played it before as well. Uh, you know, what do you think of the game? I'm not great at this game. Um, I had to double check before the episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure the, the first time I played it, um, I had to look, and my my score was negative seven. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I think it is one that... Um, I mean, I think conceptually, I think anybody can play it, but it is a little tricky to figure out, you know, how to balance, like, you know, building multiple buildings, but not, you know, kind of building yourself into a corner where if you get the wrong cube, whether somebody calls it or you flip the card and you don't get what you want, where you're not, you know, stuck with, let's say, like 10 empty spaces where you're going to get negative points or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, so you definitely do have to pay attention to the specific scoring parameters each time because um, those will change and they are very specific. Um, I definitely like the game. I'm just not like even last time I think um, was my highest score and I was like 24 and you guys still beat me by like five or six points. So um, it's one I always play. I'm just, I don't, I don't ever expect to win. Yeah. So I have to say though, that the grid is a four by four grid uh, and you're right. You can get minus victory points because every uh, square without a building, uh, it will cost you one point basically at the end of the game. 
Um, you know, and this is a game that it's like I said that the only way I can think of a you know a similar game would be a roll and ride, like a roll and ride where you have to you know uh, manage where you place your buildings or things like that. This is the closest thing that I get the feeling with a board game without being a rolling ride. And if that makes sense, another thing that I want to mention is the art. The art is pretty, I guess, friendly. Uh, you know, the art on the cards is, is nice. It's almost like similar to Everdell kind of like art ish type of game. And actually the expansions, I believe, which I haven't tried them, the expansions, I think they add like uh, little critters, uh, or little creatures that you can also play on with the buildings and they can interact with the buildings. Um, they're supposed to add even more replayability to the game and they're supposed also to improve uh, also the solo mode of the game. So I, I know there's two expansions out there. Um, there's a, a few promos out there, especially on conventions times like we are right now. If you go to their booth, usually you're able to get some promos and things like that. So... So anyway, if you have to rate, if you have to rate this game, Jonathan, which you have to, uh, what would be your rating for Tiny Towns? Um, like out of five. Yeah, yeah, sure. Out of five, out of five. I mean, no, uh, from out of five. I'm sorry. Probably like a three point five, I'd say. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't have anything else to follow that up. Clarify. <laughs> other than, other than um, you're terrible at the game. <laughs> yeah there's one that i mean i'll play it whenever it's there um it's maybe not one that i would pick i mean i don't have that one since both of you guys do but mm-hmm. um but i'd always play it and it's not a super long game so even if i lose terribly like I, it may only take half an hour so yeah um still good good experience where i'd play it anytime it's on the table yeah and i and i think i think the pros of the game like i mentioned already one is the replayability it does has good replayability you know in, in, inside the base box uh, secondly, I really like the art. I think it, that's another pro. It's a fast game. If you're playing a two-player game, oof, you probably are done in 20 minutes at most, I think. Uh, you know, it, it just depends, of course, if you have someone with a huge or very in-depth AP. Well, that's another story. But, uh, you know, it's us- they're usually fast games with, with these, um, you know, with these type of games, which is another pro. Uh, the price, this price standpoint, standpoint, it's another pro. It's not, a, it's not an expensive game. You can find it on some stores going from you know thirty five all the way to fifty dollars. So it, it's it's a decent you know um, you know price for for the type of, of game. So I think it balances very well. Also, uh, you know, if we go to the cons, one of the big ones I think, in my opinion, is that, um, and I have seen this multiple times when I played it. To some players, it could be a little bit how to say it but like more tense that it actually should it be for this type of game because ultimately is the gimmick of the game but you know you are kind of like push uh according to whatever research the other players choose so just to give an example let's say that your building requires crystal wood and wheat right so you know you pick crystal because you need one of those three but then the other players picks crystal again and you're like well okay i'm gonna try to put it here and then try to build something in the future but then the other one picks crystal again or something else that you don't need then you start to fill out your grid little by little with things that you actually don't need at that point so it's one of those games that requires you to think in advance as people are you know getting more ingredients or resources that they want for their buildings but you don't want at that point so it can add those you know tense 
moments of, oh my God, my God, the grid is getting filled and I, I don't know what to build, I'm getting tense. So definitely has that, that's kind of like, a, even if it's a gimmick of the game, I have noticed, in at least in my playthroughs, that some players can, you know, get a little bit tense, a, a little bit more than what the game should get you tense on, if that makes sense, like, I don't know, that's that's one of the, that's one of the, um, the cons that I can see on the game, and also that if you're someone that doesn't like puzzling games and someone that doesn't like roll and write games, even if this is a roll, this is not a roll and write, it feels similar though. So just to keep that in mind as well, that's not a con. It's just something that is there uh, because I, I I wanted to say this because I, I compared it to Everdale, which Everdale, of course, is a completely different game. That's a worker placement. You know, uh, you're managing some some resources, some cards as you're building your city. Well, nothing like this. But at the same time, you need to know that. This is a puzzling game, and it's also a sort of like roll and route, roll and ride transformed to tabletop game. So at least the base game—that's the, that's the impression that it gives to me. But do I recommend it? Yes, I recommend it. Do I recommend it exclusively for solo gamers? Um, yes, if you're still gonna get the chance to play this with someone. If you're not gonna play it with anyone else, I think this is a game that is very fun. But you know the solo mode is probably just an alternative, sort of like a training, like I t- like I mentioned before. Or if you really love the game, that you want to play it more times, but solo. But then you can also bring it to your group. That would be my recommendation, I guess. Do I rather play competitive or solo? A hundred times competitive. Do I want to rate the game? Yes, I do want to rate the game, and probably my rating will fall into the same category as Jonathan at three point five. It's a fun game. It's a it's a good game that you can get in your collection and you can bring and you can play it with literally anyone i feel like you don't have to be in the hobby or be a heavy gamer in order to enjoy tiny towns and that's another pro of the game uh pros and cons jonathan's before uh, we jump to the next one besides the ones that i just mentioned well i think one thing they do have um i think i've played it once the other way but if you do you know kind of have that group where you'd have more of that issue where you know if you're calling the resource and it's you know, more tense or more stressful. I know there's the variant where you can use a deck of cards and just flip them. So it'll be more, um, I guess, more proportional. I don't know how many cards are in that deck, but you'll end up getting the same number of each resource. I mean, it'll still be random, but yeah, um, that can help too. Um, you know, because I know sometimes in that game, if you're calling it, you, I don't usually pay attention to what other people are doing because I have a hard enough time just trying to figure out what I'm doing. <laughs> but... Um, you know, I, I could see that game getting, you know, a little bit more competitive where it's like, oh, you know, Derek needs a crystal, so I'm not going to call a crystal. And if Caleb doesn't call a crystal, like, then, you know, you have to wait three turns, you know, to get to, to what you need. So I think, you know, using that deck might help at least mitigate a little bit of that um, tension that could be caused from the, the other way of calling the resources. Yeah, because I was reading somewhere that, you know, that this um, reading or I watch a video of someone saying that, the one of the cons of the game too it was that it has uh you know it has that take that mechanic as well which it correlates with what you're saying but i have an experience and i have played the game at least i will say with before i played with you guys like three times before that and uh then i played it recently then after i played with you guys i played a four-player game as well and because of what you just said that you're just focusing on what you're doing i mean i don't think there's enough you know unless you know the game and play that game like a bunch a bunch of times then probably you can manage it around and now you can start to think about the take that but in my opinion i don't think this game has to take that uh take that aspect because honestly you just so focus on your grade that that i don't think it allows you to 
you know, to go that route anyway. But anyway, that was Tiny Towns, once again, published by AEG. Check it out on your friendly local gaming store. And, you know, if you uh, like what you heard, well, then that's definitely a, a game that you should try to add to your collection. Why not? Uh, let's jump into the next one, because now we're going from happy woods, from happy cities, from happy towns, uh, you know, with potentially critters and everything is joyful because we're building villages to a darker place. We're going to the sewers. We're going to the paranormal. We're going with uh, some sort of combination with crime and investigation at the same time with some uh, creatures that they are not from this world or they're probably from this world but beneath the world or you know what I'm trying to say. So anyway, for that, Jonathan, he's going to explain us about the next game that we're going to talk, which it's a darker, darker game. So the next game we'll talk about is Hellboy the Board Game. Um, this one came out in 2019, so you know, kind of right before the pandemic, you know, about a year before. Um, on BGG, it has the overall rating of 1,217, um, average rating of 7.9. Um, it plays one to four players between 60 and 90 minutes, and it has a 2.92 uh, weight rating. Um, this is from Mantic Games. Um, and so what we do in Hellboy, it's a cooperative game. Um, in the base game, you get four heroes, probably the ones you'll be familiar with, either if you've read the comics or um, seen the first um, and second movie um, that originally came out. So obviously you get Hellboy, Abe Sapien, Liz Sherman, and Johan Krauss. Each character will have their own uh, playboard with special abilities, um, different stats. Um, so each character is going to be good at... Um, you know, one thing better than other heroes. Um, but the main goal of the game is um, almost a mix of like an Arkham Horror type investigation game with a dungeon crawl um, with a pretty streamlined combat system, um, which are all things that I kind of like about the game. Um, but you'll have a different scenario, or in, in here they call them a case file, which is reminiscent of the comics as well. Um, it's not quite like a campaign in that regard. You just kind of get a case work your way through the story, kind of revealing new things as you go. So at least the first time you do it, it is kind of a surprise what happens. Um, but you'll start the game. You'll take your actions. You can move. You can fight. Um, some characters have ranged weapons and can shoot. But you can also examine the area that you're in for clues, which will give you um, more information about the final boss to make that fight more manageable. Um, if there's enemies, um, they'll have their phase as well. Um, you can always rest in between, but that progresses the time um, on the Doom Clock as well. And then, um, just like the Arkham games, any of those um, games, there's a Doom phase, kind of like the Mythos phase in those games, where you'll reveal a card from the Doom deck that's specific to um, the boss that you're fighting, as well as the scenario, and uh, bad things will happen. And then you reset and do the next turn, um, basically until you get to the point where the um, final boss fight is triggered, that boss will come out, and then depending on the scenario, you have um, either to kill the final boss. Uh, we've done one where we had to do a rescue of one of our investigators and get him back to the starting point. Um, so there's a good variety of, of what you have to do. So um, unlike some other games, it's not just a straight dungeon crawl, kill all the bad guys. Um, it is a good mix of that you know, paranormal investigation, um, recon, um, and then some missions are just to, to go and you know kill the the different monsters that are out there. 
Yeah. So um, I have to say, you know, like this, and this is going to be an interesting point because, well, Jonathan, you are, uh, you know, you read the comics of Hellboy. You, you've been in the universe of Hellboy more than anything. Um, you know, uh, you, you are a fan of Hellboy. I will, I will say it. I, I have seen all the Funkos on your game room, so I know you're a fan of Hellboy as well. Uh, but, um, you know, me, for example, not being a fan of Hellboy and actually uh, the, my only, you know, immersion with the Hellboy universe has been uh, through the movies, you know, the two Ron Perlman movies, um, which the first one was cool. You know, the second one was uh, not so good uh, for my taste. But anyway, I think like the game does a pretty good job, like you said, of balancing that uh, investigation, dungeon crawling um kind of mix um also i mean like you like you mentioned you know as you're discovering the the cases which is what they call um you know by the prd which is basically like the agency or the police station of the paranormal what is bp bprd stands for by the way probably you can you can uh, tell us better the bureau of paranormal uh gosh research development right is it no yes is i it? think I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the d um, I, um, district it'll, it'll come to me it'll come to you anyway um, you know but at the same time you have that kind of like a classic dungeon crawler um, mechanism where okay it's your turn and you have in this case what it makes a difference like you have action points or action cubes that it doesn't necessarily you, you don't have to complete your whole turn and then the other player and then the other player no here is like you try to find to find that balance between okay I do one action then probably Jonathan you do two actions then I do my last one and so on and so forth I kind of like mix it there uh, but you still have like basic actions you know like most of the dungeon crawler games where you okay you can move uh, you can attack, and then depending on what, if you can attack with with melee, if you have, if your character is good for melee, and have your different cards that they will act for you better in melee or effects, well, you use them, and you have a combat system where you roll dice, uh, you know, to try to overcome the 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 defense on the enemy and try to see if you can defeat him. Uh, you can also do range if you have you know weapons and things like that. Uh, you can investigate on on your on your region or on your area. So the the actions kind of like guided to the classic mode of dungeon crawlers but at the same time because you have that investigation theme of it um it it, it, add, it adds a little bit more and i feel like me that i'm a person that i love dungeon crawlers and i love solo and cooperative games i have to be honest that i'm usually very you know dragged by the by the theme in this particular case I wasn't, uh, you know, big disclosure for me as well again. I got this uh, game uh, as a review copy last Gen Con. So I got it completely for free from my friends from Mantic Games. And I just wanted to throw it out there. But um, I own the base game. And, you know, I tried it. And and I played it before with Jonathan and Caleb in a cooperative mode. I tried to, to, wanted to try it as a solo and understand it a little bit better. And I think it does something a little bit extra than other that other dungeon crawlers don't do so much, which is that mix of to begin with, like you know, kind of like a, that mix of different actions, different players, different orders. I think that's cool, but also that narrative of like, okay, the case, and then things spawn, and not they just not spawn like falling in an event deck. It's more like okay, as you as you progress on the case, things happen that make sense with the story. Like versus, for example, the zombie side games or 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 a bunch of the Cthulhu games when enemies spawn and things like that is most is it is more 
random than anything else and you assume that the theme is there so they're going to spawn eventually versus here a lot of the situations they will come and spawn according to the story and how you are progressing in the story it also has that uh, mechanism of trying to research and try to do good on research uh, before bad things start to happen because if you were you, at least in the first scenario if you were able to reach to research uh, more or, or or even to go farther on the research track I don't even know if it's called a research track but the, the one that basically you're trying to find clues and stuff um, the better you do there the easier I guess is is gonna be at some point to overcome the the either the main boss or or or, or that as, as the scenario progresses to overcome in different situations it's also a game that it's hard to to tell you like uh, you know besides the idea of the game what happens because once again it's a narrative game uh, I believe the main box and you can tell me otherwise I think the base gum has the base the base uh, box I'm sorry has four cases or or three cases how many cases does it include you remember um I think it's more than that I want to say it was maybe five or six five or six um mm -hmm. yeah I've got it here um but I know it's got three different bosses that'll show up mm -hmm. um and um four different kind of minions let's see if there's six case files in the base box okay six okay now Here's the thing, and we didn't mention it, and I want to recognize it right away. Uh, designers, uh, James M. Hewitt, Sophie Williams, the artists, uh, Jose David Lanza, Sebrián, e uh, and Mac Minola, or Mignola, and the publishers meant the games. There is, just to give credit to the uh, designers. Um, yeah, so that's the thing, because we're going to come down to pros and cons in the games in a little bit, but you have the six cases on the, on the game, and It's a narrative game, so you can play again those cases, but the story won't change that much. The outcome might change, but the story won't change as much. And that's why, you know, of course, this is a game where you need expansions, which probably you can tell us a little bit more about expansions as you own a few of those, Jonathan. Yeah, um, and I can talk about it later too, but that's one of the biggest um, issues with the base game okay. is that you only get the six cases, Um, there's not a whole lot of variety in the minions are all, um, there are some of the different frog creatures, which are heavily, um, present in the Hellboy comics, but, um, it's not super exciting when, you know, in the base box, you're, you know, every time you have a scenario, you're fighting frog minions. Um, <laughs> yeah. but there are some other options. Um, and it was a little tricky, especially semantic, not being based in the U S um, and this originally being a Kickstarter, Um, a lot of the expansions were not originally available at retail. Um, they're starting to come out. Some are still pretty expensive, though. But um, the ones I have, there's the Wild Hunt expansion and Hellboy in Mexico, which add, um, I think each one has two new um, player characters, either different versions of Hellboy or um, other um, agents from the BPRD, which I remember stands for the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. There um, you go. <laughs> and so they have those, but they also have some of the other, um, you know, uh, big baddies from the comics in there um, to give you some more of that variety. And they have, you know, more cases. I think those probably have maybe three or four cases in each one. Um, and then I also have the BPRD archives, which is 
Um, it does have, I think, a couple of cases, but it mostly adds other minions and a way to randomize it. So you could play the same case, but instead of having the frog monsters, you might have werewolves or um, you know vampires. So it could help you switch out some of that. So even if the cases are the same, you don't have that same um, creatures that you fight. So it could add some of that surprise back into it and add some variety. Um, I haven't tried that yet, but um, just having that... Um, you know, those extra characters, I think, will help um, with that replayability, which I think is probably the main thing at the original, at least the retail base boxes lacking. Um, there are some other expansions that I don't have, like I said, because they're expensive. But I did get an email. I backed the Kickstarter for the next expansion pack, and those should be coming out, um, hopefully shipping in July. So maybe by Gen Con. Yeah. Um, I think that comes with, you know, four more kind of small expansions for the game. So um at least mantic is still focused on the game and putting out more expansions to to kind of fill in some of those gaps and create more content to add more cases to the game yep so let's let's jump into the pros and cons right now so um one con that we can agree both you and i is definitely the replayability on the game um and i think that's the nature though so i don't i don't think of course there could be a way to fix it but it's just the nature of when you have a game that has a narrative campaign. I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. Uh, you play it, you know the story, you can replay it. It's just like watching a movie again. Uh, but it's there. Like, you're not going to get surprises, per se. I also felt like on the base game, like you will mention, uh, the enemies were very repetitive. So even if the scenarios were changing, it was the same minions over and over. Uh, you know, and, and there's only two bosses on the main game, so... I mean, it was kind of like a mix from there. Um, you know, I, I, that those are as far as my cons as well. I, you mentioned price. It's true. Um, you know, I think this game, uh, you can find it online somewhere or in your, in your uh, friendly gaming stores, probably somewhere close to the $100, um, you know, market, I guess. Uh, and then the expansions are also not cheap to get because, once again, the Mantic Polisher is based on England. And the same happened to me before with... Uh, the Walking Dead, the miniature games, all of war, and um, you know th those are those are the only cons that I can think of. Pros, and you probably can also t talk about more about the pros as well. One pro is the the quality of the minis. Uh, if you are a mini painter, these are great minis. Um, they look fantastic. Uh, their their finish on the on the on the plastic, it's great. Uh, it almost feels like if they come pre-shaded, which they're not pre-shaded, but it, it kind of like seems because it's a good quality of minis. And Mantic is known by having a good quality of minis. Um, another pro that I think is that it does, it has that variety of, once again, like I mentioned, for someone play, that plays a lot of dungeon crawlers, is usually very um, standard now that, okay, I do my turn, which consists of two actions, move, attack, explore, whatever, and then it's Jonathan's turn, and then Jonathan is done, and then it's next player, and so on and so forth. Versus here with the action points, I think it's a good way of, you know, making a little bit of a change here and, like, doing the actions at different times, and I think that's cool. Also, the abilities that you can get as you play the game, you know, different weapons, things like that, it's cool. I also like the interaction of the allies that they can get into the scenario. I think that's pretty cool as well. Even for someone that doesn't know uh, the Hellboy universe. Um, and those are the pros and cons that I can think. It's a big box game. The, the art on the game, 
I mean, you can tell me, and that was my was going to be my next question. I I like the art on the game. Now, how close is the art and the case on the game to the comic? Like, is it really attached? Does it really respect the comic? And does and it makes you feel like you're playing the comic or the movies, or you think this is just okay? This is a Hellboy game, but it doesn't feel anything either, like the movies or the comics. Um. So. The game is supposed to be more like the comics. Um, and when you look at the art, it's, it is the original art, I believe. Um, I don't know if there's anything that's you know not originally from the comics, but if not, it's in the style of Mike Mignola's art from the comics. But I think a lot of these are actual images from the comic book characters. Um, and even like when you look through the rule books, it's all the comic book and comic book style art that he is um, so famous for. So it's definitely more of a... Um, game based on the comics um, and the storylines from the comics. I mean, there will be some overlap with some of the characters and things from the movie, um, but at its heart, it is Hellboy the comic book, I would say, okay. um, more so. And your pros and cons? Um, so for other cons, I don't really have much besides just the um, the variety in the base box. Um, and like I said, the expansions are more available now. I don't know what the price point is. Um any more for the ones that I have, but mm -hmm. um, I think it's helped that there's been another Kickstarter for more expansions, and I think they've done some reprints of their previous expansions, so I think having more of those out in the market um, will be helpful. Um, but I think some of the other pros that I have, um, so if you've seen the movie or read the comics, um, it never feels like Hellboy, like for as strong as you think he should be, like he always, get, he always gets his butt kicked. Yeah, I feel like for a lot of the time until he's kind of building up and they figure out what they have to do to fight the uh, the final boss. And I feel like that game does that well. Um, you do have special abilities, but you don't have that many actions on your turn. So it's like, oh, this is a great attack. Or, um, you know, one of the characters is great at investigating, but you can only do that once or twice a turn. So while it seems like you have these great abilities, um, I think in general, the game is still going to be stronger than you. And you do have to mix those uh, um, actions that you do to be strategic to account for that. Um, I think it also helps when you play either solo or cooperative to have a good mix of fighters and investigators to uh, manage that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I like that you don't feel like you're an overpowered, like, you know, I know it's a comic book, but you don't feel like a superhero going into this dungeon and, you know, just wiping out all the bad guys. Um, and I think my favorite thing about the game is the way they use the dice system to do the different tests, whether it's attacks or, um, examination or um, shooting, but there's a dice system, mm -hmm. and each character, you know, they have a color of dice that are assigned to them for specific um, tests that they do. So yellow is the worst, and orange, then red, then black. Um, and as you go, you know, some characters might get red dice when they shoot, but you know they're weak at melee, so they get yellow, and those are going to have the weakest results. Um, and the system makes combat very easy that way where it tells you what you have. If there's anything in the way or you're um, out of range, you downgrade your dice. If you have any advantages, you upgrade to the better ones. Mm -hmm. um, but you don't have to worry about modifiers or um, other things to add like some of the other dungeon crawl games. It's all just based on that dice system and, and how you upgrade them. And I think that's one of my favorite things, which um, you know I think could be applied if, you know, if Mantic were to ever do another um, system like this, they could apply that combat system at least to another ip um and i think it would work out well yeah so 
now if we go into ratings and here is the here's the interesting part you know from once again someone that is not attached thematically at all to hellboy um you know and i will go first and then you, you can tell me rating i think for hellboy i still feel like it shines very well because it's a solid design it's a solid game you know it has his the cons that we already uh, talk about but it's a solid game and it's, it kind of like feels different. It just feels a different type of dungeon crawler. And I feel like that's hard to achieve, especially on these days when we are surrounded by dungeon crawler for dungeon crawlers of everything that you can imagine. So I think for me, uh, Hellboy, it has a rating of a 3.8, uh, you know, just a little bit of uh, below 4. I, I think it's a good game. I think, you know, if you're able to get a copy... I mean, you should try it, even if you're not a Hellboy fan. But at the same time, it really kind of hurts that, like you mentioned, with the recent story, was it's easier to get everything. But at least here in the United States. But if you're in the United States, it's kind of like you have to keep that in mind that, you know, in order to get more uh, variability on the game and play the game, you have to get expansions. So uh, strictly on the base game, for me, I think it's a 3.8. If I would have play every expansion or let's say if two expansions were included on the base game as speaking of the variants that you can get i think my rating would be higher but still 3.8 i think it's a good rating for the game it's i i recommend it um it still can suffer for from the alpha player ish uh you know almost impossible aspect to take away from a cooperative dungeon crawler but um you know if if it's for solo i, I recommend it as well if if you know, if if that's something that you would like. Now, if you like the Hellboy universe, I think this is definitely a game that you should have because, I mean, it's great. Like, if you were to take Hellboy away and put Batman there, I, this would would be for me probably a higher rating, and it would be even a greater game, and I would own everything for it already. So, but just keeping that in mind from someone that it's completely, you know, away from the Hellboy universe and still think that it has a three point eight, I think that that tells you something and. And you know, I think it's a game, a great game to try it solo. And if you play, gonna play a cooperative, you will have fun. But once again, just with the considerations that I just mentioned. What about you, Jonathan? Where do you place Hellboy, the board game? Since you are a Hellboy fan, um, I think I'd give it a four. Um, I think one of the things that also helps is just that compared to other similar games, it's not as long, um, mm-hmm. either for setup or for gameplay. So. Um, Wow, I also really like Gloomhaven. Um, <laughs> you know, it, and I want to get Jaws of the Line back out and finish my solo um, playthrough of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think about it, I'm like, I could just set up Hellboy and play a game in an hour. Um, yeah. And there's not as much rules overhead or set up or tear down. So I think that definitely helps it along with the theme. Um, you know, I like the first two movies. Um, you can just ignore the reboot that they tried to do, I think, last year or the year oh, before. Yeah. How was that one? But, was it terrible uh, or what? Um, it wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, if you like those or the comics, um, especially, I think you'll appreciate, you know, how they use the art in the game and definitely follow that um, story well and, and bring in those characters. Um, yeah, I would definitely give it a solid four. Okay. And even if I don't get through all the expansions or play everything, like I, I always see it when we do our you know, our yard sales or we call some games and it's never one that I think that I you know, would get rid of. Yeah. Um, I think it's always got a good place, um, you know, in, in that dungeon crawl category for me. So there you have it. That was Hellboy, the board game. 
and uh you know going from dark places and you know also with paranormal activity let's go to more like an industrial activity uh and we're gonna talk about charcoal we're gonna talk about oil iron and we're gonna go back all the way to the 19th century because we're gonna try to build our engines and we're gonna try to make our factories work and better say our furnace start to work and made some cool stuff there so we're gonna take different roles of the 9th century 19th century capitalist and we will try to build our industrial corporations and aspiring to make as much money as we can by purchasing different companies extracting resources and processing them in the best combinations possible and we're talking about furnace the board game furnace the board game is ranked overall in 453 uh, 7.5 on the bgg uh, rating it was a game that it was published on 2020 uh, right in the middle of the of the um, pandemic uh, two to four players uh, 30 to 69 30 to 60 minutes age 12 year plus weight complexity 2.2 out of 5 the designer it's uh, ivan lashin uh, the artist is Sergei Dulin, Marta Ivanova, Ilya Konovalov, Oleg Yurkov, and two more, which I don't know who the other two are. And that is published by uh, Arkin Wonders and Hobby World. And like I mentioned, well, in fairness, it's an engine builder that we trying to get uh, our resources in the best way possible to try to kick in our engines. And Jonathan will tell us a little bit more because this is the type of games that I will tell you, my friend, that if you want to play competitive with him, don't play an engine builder because he will destroy you. So what are we doing on Furnace? Well, the interesting thing is that as you know, as a capitalist, we also like to bid uh, in our companies. Try to, if you want to think about it, like to manipulate the stocks here and there. And we're trying to go through auctions to try to get the best companies possible. So at the beginning of the game, we're all going to get a character. And each character is going to have different abilities. Uh, that you can, you know, apply during the game or during your turn. And you're also going to get four discs, usually, unless you're one of the of the guys that he, he has five discs. But anyway, usually you're going to get four discs, and they're going to be disc number four, three, two, and you guess right, one. So you're going to get those four discs. Also, you're going to start with some resources and uh, your company where you have to start from, which usually will give you one charcoal and one iron. That's it. That's all you have to begin. One company charcoal iron and your discs that if you want to think about it is like your way of stocking and pushing for different companies uh so anyway then you're going to have a line of cards if you're playing with three to four three to four players you're going to get a certain number if you're playing with two players a little bit less cards and if you're playing four players or more well uh, you're going to have more cards, obviously, more options. What are you going to do on your turn? Simple as you're going to place one of your action tokens, uh, either four, three, two, or one, in the card that you want. But here is the gimmick. Let's say I place a three on top of one card. And then Jonathan plays his disc number four. Whoever has, whoever has the highest auction value on that card, at the end of the round after we go taking turns auctioning for different companies it's going to own that building but every building it will have two different under anatomy it will have two different sections one which is the lower section which that one is going to help you to build your engine and every time that you go to that phase it's going to give you some resources and some abilities but also that has a top part and you know anatomically speaking on the card 
the top part, you're going to get it if you place a bid or place a disc on that card, but you didn't end up owning that card. So in the example that I gave, for example, since I place at three and Jonathan plays at four, at the end of the round, well, I'm going to get resources, you know, when, when there's a time to collect that card because I didn't want that card, but I want the resources that are on top of the card or, or on the or on the upper part of the card. And then I will take my disc out and then Jonathan will take that card. And that card is going to benefit Jonathan later on the turn when he starts to trigger the engine from the bottom part of that new company that he, he, he just purchased. So that whole gimmick of the game that on your turn, you really want to think where are you going to place your discs? Because the other thing is that, let's say on that card, there was a one charcoal on the on the top part of the card. And if I place a three, that means that I will get three charcoals when that card is collected at that point, right? But if it was two charcoals, well, it's going to be six because it's going to be three times two, six, and so on and so forth. So that's a way to get resources. Then, after we all place our auction disc, we're going to go to the second part of the round, or the second phase of the round, which is where we try to, to we start to make water our, our engine, right? So, from the bottom part of each card that we have in our grid, our personal grid, then we're going to start to get resources, and then we can start to transform those, those resources into iron, oil, uh, you name it, different um, resources. And also, those resources, in with other type of cards, you can transform them or exchange them for money because that's the main currency of victory points of the game you're gonna you're gonna exchange those resources for money most likely during the rounds then after that round is done like we trigger we fill the action part we put our discs we got our cards we trigger our engines then we go to round two and we do the same we're gonna be doing the same for four rounds and after that whoever has the more money or, or whoever has the most money wins the game. It's a perfect capitalist game where you're trying to, you know, have more companies, get more money. I have more money. I'm the winner. So that's fairness in a nutshell, you know. Um, I The first time I saw this game was on last Gen Con uh, 2021. And it was on the Arkane Wonders booth. And, you know, people were going crazy for it. And and I have to say, once again, disclosure, I received this game from our friends from Arkane Wonders. They sent me a copy of the game with the mat, um, you know, for, for me to try it again. And, you know, I just want to throw it out there. But anyway, this game, I don't know if you remember, Jonathan, it was uh, creating a big, big fuss on last Gen Con. Um, you know, people were, you know, just grabbing copies of Furnace. Uh, it was that one and Picture Perfect, I believe, the, one, the two that people were going for on their booth. Um, and it's a game that play fast. Uh, it's a game that once again four rounds, and that's it. Um, what are your thoughts on Furnace? We just played it last night, actually, and I don't remember if I won, you won, or, or no. I think Caleb won. Uh, but what, what are your thoughts on Furnace? Was it was the first time that you tried it last night? That was my first time. I did remember seeing that at the Arcane Wonders booth at Gen Con because mm-hmm. um, we had demoed Picture Perfect one of the days, and it was there, and mm-hmm. I just kind of got to see the setup of it. I, I didn't demo it or anything, but. Um, you know, like you said before, engine building games are some of my favorite ones just because you can create those combos and find those, um, things that work together. Um, and I think, um, I didn't win, um, (laughs) but it was my first time. So, so maybe you're going to destroy a second time. (laughs) I'll, I'll have my solution for next time. Um, but I do like that trade off of, you know, you're trying to get cards, but you know, later in the game, you don't necessarily need as much. You just want to run your engine as you know efficiently as possible. So you're trying to still get the resources 
uh, from those cards, but you know, your opponent may not even bid on that card and you get stuck with that and not get any resources. So you do want to, um, you know, there is some of that bidding um, mechanic where you're trying to play the other players and see what they're thinking to get that to work out in your favor. Um, but I don't think it was ever a game where anything could necessarily ruin your engine. So, I mean, there's still things you can do, which I liked um, for being such a fairly short game, being only four rounds. Um, you know, I like that you always have a good amount of decisions you can make and, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to run your engine um, and to get those cards to work out. So I do like the amount of decisions that you have to make in such a, I don't want to call it a small game, but, um, you know, compared to some other engine builders, it is a fairly small game. Um, but there's still a lot of, you know, strategy and, and decision making that you have while you play. Yeah. And, and you know, I think one of the, the, the cool things, I compared this game to another one that I really like, Fantastic Factories. For some reason, it feels similar. I know they share the mechanism of being an engine builder, but it feels similar because Fantastic Factories also, it's a short game. Not as short as Furnace, I feel like, but it's a short game. But Furnace, I mean, it has a, a bunch of good stuff. You know, I mean, one right off the bat, one of the things that it, it wasn't really appealing to me was the theme. I remember when I saw the theme at Gen Con, uh, you know, it gave me the impression that it was so boring <laughs> you know, at the beginning, like, well, Furnace and whatever, like, I mean, why do I care about that? But usually that's because you know where I come from, which is more like a epicness and, and Cthulhu and this and that. But, um, I mean, you put a Cthulhu in Furnace. We actually placed a card last night on top of the deck in the way we were, uh, you know, no spoiling us to see which, get, which card was coming or which cards were coming for the next round. And it was actually a Cthulhu card, so that was pretty cool. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, I think that the game has uh, very cool things, such as, uh, you know, that it plays fast. If you play the two-player version, the only variance is that you roll a die after we go, after the both players take actions, and it's just another space that is going to get blocked, basically, in that way. It kind of like mimics like if you were playing three players. I think the sweet spot for this game is also three players. I think it plays perfectly time-wise and all, uh, you know, in every aspect as well. Four players is also good. It's just probably a little bit longer, just a tiny bit. Uh, and once again, it just depends on the AP of every player. Um, but I think it's a fun game. I really like the mechanic of the of beating. You know, of the okay, I'm going for that card, but I also don't want to win the card. I want to place a three with the hope that somebody's going to place a four in that way I can get a bunch of resources. So that's pretty cool. And also, um, you know, I, I didn't mention this, but every every building that you get is going to have, it's, it's double-sided. So it has an upgrade side that it can even make your engine work even better, get more points or more coins or, or whatever. So that aspect of the game, I really like it. I like that we all start with the same uh, building as well and that you know we we start from the same none 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 of us is with a, an advantage let's put it that way because we start with the same small engine and then we go from there and evolve and make it differently uh, i have to say that the abilities of the characters are also pretty cool like i remember you had an ability um jonathan that i think what was it that what, didn't allow you to change a resource for another one or something like that or no you you were able to get to get oil which is the most powerful resource but then the other players will get charcoal or something like that, right? I think. Yeah, I was able to use one of my auction tokens, and then whatever number it was, I got that much oil, mm -hmm. and then you guys got that much coal. So, um, I mean, I assume it was the best strategy with what I had, but like, 
um, at least for me, that also helped guide me. I was trying to find cards that had oil either to trade mm-hmm. um, oil for something else or to, you know, trade oil to get coins. Yeah. Um, but I like that the different abilities were different. Um, like mine was during the uh, bidding phase or the auction phase, but some were, um, you know, during a different phase, like when you run your engine. So they're not all going to trigger at the same time or do the same sort of thing, which, which was nice that they were very different, I feel like. Yeah, and for example, the character I was playing to was powerful because I wa- I had an extra two value token or disc. So basically, I was able to bid an extra time uh, compared to the other players. So anyway, that's furnace uh, pros. Uh, let's start. I think the art is cool for the theme. I think the art goes well with the theme. Uh, it plays fast. It's fun, um, and it's also easy to teach and easy to learn. Um, you know, cons. The only thing I can think of on a con is that. If you don't like engine builders, or if you really won't play the game because of the theme, but other than that, I mean, I think I, I don't see anything bad with Furnace. And I will say right now that my rating, uh, going from zero to five, for me, it's probably a four point five because, like I said, it's 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 a great. I, I don't own that many engine builders, but this one is pretty cool. It's pretty solid. It's pretty fast. And I have fun with it. So I'm definitely, it's a game that I will keep bringing to the table very often, either to play with, with my wife or to play with my friends. I feel like I can play with almost everyone because once again, it's easy to teach and easy to learn. So that's fairness for me, Jonathan. What about you? Um, yeah, I would agree. I, I don't really think there's any cons necessarily besides, you know, like you said, if you don't really like the theme or it's just not your kind of game. But I feel like at least with that, then you probably wouldn't really even seek out that game to play it if you're not into engine builders. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would just avoid the game altogether if that were the case. Um, but I think for, you know, overall how quick it is, how pretty streamlined the rules are. Um, I mean, even like the iconography, like is very simple, um, really besides your player characters, it's very language independent. Um, you know, it's all pretty clear symbols. Um, so I think it's really user friendly that way. Um, for me, I'd say probably between a four and a 4.5. Um, I do like those kind of games. Um, I would have to play it more to see like if I would replace any of my other engine builders, like probably my favorite one, I would think would be gizmos. Um, but even that's a little bit different, like how that one works. Um, it's more of like chaining different things where furniture, you do an action to get a resource that lets you do another action. So it's not quite, quite the same feel. So, um, you know, I think it does fit in pretty well. Um, but I think with more plays, I'd probably go higher up, closer to that 4.5 for me too. Yeah. So the only downside I will say again is just that I cannot play it solo. But at the same time, the mechanics wouldn't wouldn't allow it. I think to be a solo game. And Fantastic Factories, for example, once again compared it, it does has a solo mode. So that's the only difference. But other than that, both are great. But Furnace, it's definitely I would say a must-have. And Jonathan, if you are ready, let's go to the circus, my friend. So our last game is actually going to be a new game from this year um, called Ten Penny Parks. Ten Penny Parks, um, yes, yes, yes. I love it. Keep going. <laughs> um, um, VGG is ranked uh, four thousand two hundred and fourteen overall, mm-hmm. um, and it is a game where um, you're trying to build a theme park and um, attract visitors to um, inspire, thrill, all, enjoy, and make some money. Um, it's for one to four players, so it does have a solo mode usually takes about 45 to 75 minutes 
um, and it has a weight of 2.21. And like I said, it's from Thunderworks, designed by Nate Linhart, and the art is by Vince Dutrait, who I'm sure most people are familiar with um, for having gorgeous art in all of his games. So um, this game does not lack that art, um, as you'll see by the cover. Um, But overall, this game is fairly simple and straightforward. It's a polyomino game at its heart. Um, Each player will start with um, the same size player board, either with the same layout or there's a flip side for difference. But you'll start with a plot of land that has some trees on it um, and some bonus tiles. And what you're trying to do is buy attractions to fill out this area, um, tear down some of the trees, make more space, get some cool rides, um, and get people to come to your park. So what you'll do um, over the course of the game, um, you'll start by um, setting up this really cool carousel that comes in the game and it has different dollar values that are assigned to the different types of rides. So um, I forget the category names, but there's some space rides. There's some rides where you can um, buy some things at the gift shop and wherever they are in the carousel, um, they either have um, an increased cost, a decreased cost or no change. And so you'll be doing some worker placement by um, putting your worker down on the carousel. You can go to some other areas where you can get more money, add more land, um, add some other um, concessions that'll give you either more money or add to some of your tracks. And you'll do that till everybody plays their workers. When you start the game, you have three workers. And just like a standard worker placement game, you'll go in order um, and place those. And uh, once you're done with that, then you'll check everything um, on the tracks. So, um, in this game, like I said, you're trying to inspire thrill, awe, and joy. Those are the different, um, emotions that your guests will feel at your park. Um, each of those have special bonuses that you'll get. And I'm at the, um, at that part of the round, you'll see whoever's winning. Um, one of the cool things with this game is, um, you can either take a free victory point if you're in first place or you can move yourself back on the track to get a better bonus. So this could either be getting the first player marker. Um, you can get an extra meeple for the next turn. So you'll have that benefit of a fourth worker where nobody else will have it, or you can get some extra money. Um, it has a pretty cool mechanic on, you know, where do you want to push to go back on the track to get an immediate bonus, or do you want to get victory points for the end of the game? Um, so you'll do that. And then if you have attractions, you can um, decide if you want to advertise those. So on any attraction that you put in your park, you'll get a card with, um, with that attraction on it for the rest of the game. And it might say you can spend, um, you know, $2 to advertise this roller coaster and you get three victory points. And so you'll have a chance to do that at the end of each round before you reset um, as you go throughout the game. And so you'll be adding more attractions, having more opportunities to advertise, but you also want to save that money for future rounds to, to build up your park. Um, so it kind of has a good um, mix of building up early and then trying to cash in on those attractions later on in the game. Um, but overall, it is a fairly quick game. Um, I think is it um, is it four rounds, Derek, or five? Four, four rounds. Is it four rounds? Yeah, four, four rounds. Um, so it's over a period where they call months. Um, but over this time, you know, you'll build, you know, a, a park. Um, and like I said, you all start at the same place. You might get some guidance on what to do um, because you'll have your own hidden objectives. But a lot of times that's just going to be have three of the space rides or clear out 10 trees from your park. Um, so nothing major, but it will give you some 
guidance to get some more victory points that way and, and to help build up your park. And then um, at the end of the game, you're just counting up how many victory points you have. So scoring is very simple. Um, there's no other, besides tiebreakers, there's no other things that build into your, your victory points. Um, and then whoever has the most victory points wins. Yeah. So you, you describe it perfectly. Like as like just to recap really quick, we have gonna have different phases during a turn. So the first phase, of course, you're gonna get the income uh from the uh attractions that you have built. Some of the attractions will give you more money and also uh you know different concessions that you build that gonna give you money. And we all get three dollars at the at the beginning of each round. Then we start to place our workers. You know, uh, some places are restricted, such as the when you're trying to buy the attractions, they could have modifieds according to where the car carousel is, which the carousel is fantastic and we're going to talk about the components in a little bit um and so on and so forth then after you build then you can advertise them you know once per round every ride you can advertise to get more money and then you do the cleanup basically i really like the aspect of how on the grid um you also according to the tile placement of each attraction the, the attractions will have like different shapes like you mentioned uh but they cannot be adjacent to each other orthogonally just you know it has to be diagonally adjacent you can but orthogonally not and also you start with some trees on your park that you have to clean them up in order to make some space also you can go so, some of the unlimited spaces is like for example the realtor you can realtor and get more land and then you start to clean those the trees of the new land to basically increase the the size of your amusement park now as far as when you play solo the only difference is that you're playing against i think her name is betty uh so basically it's an ai player that she also is trying to not to build her park but kind of like make it harder for you to build your amusement park so how it's gonna work is that you're gonna do your you're still gonna start as the first player on the first round um and you're gonna do your turn normally just exactly normal as you would do with a multiplayer setup is the same um then after that betty will go and uh buy the attraction that has the highest cost with the card and with the modification of the carousel she will get it that's it she will get those victory points and of course every time that you buy an attraction like jonathan mentioned you're going to advance in different tracks so she will advance on those tracks as well then it's going to be your, your turn and then the, her, her next turn she's going to go and buy now the less expensive card combined with the bonus on the carousel so first she went for the top now from the bottom and after that then she is gonna go and try to get i think she tries to get um uh victory points right off the bat going to some other i don't remember which which where exactly she goes but at the last time is to get victory points then at the advertising time she's always going to advertise the last card that she got which in this case will be the lowest cost card and she will get she will be getting points like crazy and she will be blocking you from buying those expensive card or lowest lower cost cards and then after at the end of each round just again a multiplayer whoever has more more points wins the game um my thoughts on the game and let's start with the with the positive stuff production top notch i think the production of this game it's beautiful beautiful the cardboard components are very sturdy cardboard very thick feels nice um the board is nice the art is beautiful as you mentioned it jonathan i mean the artist did a great job and usually in most of his games he usually does a fantastic job vincent dutrade um and, and you know the the way of the how the game flows it's pretty fun it's pretty darn fun like even if you even if it's like a worker placement game that we have tons of, and millions of worker places games this just feels fun 
because of the theme and the production of it. Uh, you know, the wooden tokens, like the trees that you get on your park, it's fantastic. Uh, your meeples, fantastic. First player token, it's great. The carousel in the middle of the board, it gives that visual aspect of something fun, something very fun that, you know, you, you will be attracted to play. Um, the box is not that big. It's like almost like, I want to say, like a standard or a smallish than a standard size box. Um, and, and you know, the price point of the game is somewhere around 50 to $60, which you might think, well, I don't know if it's too much for the game, but the production is what makes it worth it. You're getting a good production game that quality on the cards it's a standard that it's it's similar to our games but the uh, the cardboard and the wooden components are just great then if you want to add more variability to the game uh we can all either play with the same side of on, on a grid or we can just flip it and everybody will be different and you know we'll see how everything goes um this game also feels like a roll and write game basically but instead of rolling right well you're placing tiles and you're uh, placing meeples over there on, on the main board to try to get you know different attractions it's pretty 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 cool and i just love it i think 10 penny parks you know we 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 discovered this game or i discovered this game playing it with jonathan uh and i told him right away that i'm getting this game i'm getting this game i'm getting this game Next thing you know, I got it. And, you know, it, it's it's just a fun game. Solo plays very good. It doesn't feel like, you know, beating up your victory. I mean, trying to overcome your previous victory points. No, it actually feels like you're playing, you're playing against someone else that is just getting a lot of points. Um, so I think that's pretty cool in the game. Uh, cons on the game uh, for me um it, it could be that you know the carousel it comes on assemble it helps that the, the the cardboard is very sturdy and very thick but i can definitely see like some people having some trouble trying to put it together because you have to assemble the the carousel uh other than that i don't have any anything bad to say i think it's a great game uh you know i, I highly recommend it even if you're a strictly a solo player i recommend this game for you because it's a good game. It's a great game, great production. It's beautiful. Um, and for me, my rating right off the bat, it's 4.5, no questions. It's a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic game. Uh, Jonathan, pros, cons, rating, um, you know, it's it, uh, for this great production from Thunderbird Games. Yeah, I think definitely one of the pros is that this is a game that you get it and you already feel like you have the upgraded components that you would get off of Etsy or off the yeah. um, Geek Up shop on BGG. Um, like some of these components are better than like, some of the upgrade components that you'll get <laughs> yeah, just with yeah, the quality. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a game. I remember I, we got it on our trip and I was punching it out and kind of getting everything organized in the morning before everybody else woke up. And you always have that fear when you're punching out cardboard that one of the sides is going to rip. Yeah. And like, this was just so clean and so nice. Um, I will say I was nervous about the carousel. Um, part of that was because I finally opened my my copy of Wingspan recently before that, and that cardboard is not as strong for the... You mean, um, for, you mean for the Dice Tower, right? Yeah, for the Bird Feeder. Bird, 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 and yeah. so I, it's like I couldn't get the one side to go there because like it just got a little bit bent, and then it just kept bending and got real like you know soft like cardboard does. Yeah. But that carousel, since it was like nice, firm cardboard, it was kind of fun to make. Um, it went together fairly easily, um, but you still want to be careful. Um Mm-hmm. But but overall, I think the production is part of what makes the game pop. I mean, it does have some some things that are 
um, not necessarily unique themes and you got some worker placement, you've got some of the polyamino things um, and tile placement, but um, I think just having that art and kind of that unique style of the game helps. Um, I also like how short it is and how you know pretty simple it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we t- you talked about the cost, but you know, especially if you can find it for you know even ten dollars off, like it's definitely worth it um, for the production and the game that you'll get. Um, just know that you are going to get you know more of a, a lighter game, I'd say. Um, yeah, from that regard, from and, and from the cost standpoint, it is going to be a lighter game. Um, I don't really have any other cons that I can think of, um, except maybe besides at different player counts. Um, I have not played it solo, but I think at two players, it was a little, um, I don't want to say too open, but you don't have as much competition for the different um, tiles on the carousel like we did when we played three players, or um, even as if we play over four players, I would imagine it would be even um, you know, tighter decisions on you know, what can you afford still trying to get the pieces that you want, but a two player, you can almost get the same thing unless you have an overlapping goal. Um, That being said, it was still a very close game and it was a difference of one point, but you're not worried as much about those decisions. And it's more of, you know, the other things that you want to do with your park where um, at the higher counts, you are going to fight for those specific tiles that, that fit best with your park. Um, But I do think it fits well um, within that, type of game like i've got some other polyamino games like uh, we played new york zoo mm-hmm. where you're putting the tiles in your zoo but even that feels different because there's not really the worker placement but more of the management of you know it is all about the tiles where this is a good mixture of you know that worker placement push and pull of you know where do you want to go and how to fit the tiles but it's not solely just placing your tiles and trying to fill up a board um yeah. but if you like this kind of games it does still have that puzzle um, so I think it would fit for, you know, if you like worker placement or um, that polyomino tile type game and you're looking for a, a quick game that'll take less than an hour. Okay. Um, this, is a, this is a great game for that. And you're waiting? I think I'd give it a 4.5 as well. Um, mm-hmm. I've played it a few times at those different player counts. Um, I'd be interested in um, playing it at four players just to see if it's even, you know, even more of a tight, tighter game or if you'll mm-hmm. get through some more of those tiles. Um and it might be a little bit more uh, more cutthroat, yeah. Um, at at that number, um, but yeah, I think it's a great game. It's one that I always um, would want to play. It's very easy to set up, and it's very quick to play. So, um, you know, it's a game that I always um, I, I can't imagine getting rid of it, especially now. But yeah. it's one that I would always play whenever we have the chance. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's the same feeling that I have for it. Um, you know, so that was Ten Penny Parks, a must-have from Solo VG Podcast. Uh, check it out once again in your in your local framing, local favorite gaming store because it's 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 a great game. Um, Jonathan, good stuff. It's coming on. Uh, we're closing the episode now. Uh, Jenkin, it's around the corner, one month from now. Uh, I'm sure we will have. I'm gonna say the commitment right now, so you don't have any way to go. Uh, we're gonna have an episode before Jenkin, pre Jenkin, see our thoughts, our expectations, where games are going for, what are our expectations on on a convention um, two years um, after lockdown, basically here in the United States. Um, we, we're gonna talk about that. Uh, so that's an episode coming up. Also, spoiler alert: we soon gonna have. What is going to be probably the first event uh, from Solo BG Podcast in conjunction with our good friend Caleb uh, with his magic show, which is great, by the way, highly recommended. Uh, we are in plans of having an event here in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is going to 
help uh, for uh, basically charity. We don't know the details yet, but we're going to have a place where we're going to be inviting you, all of you, if you're in Indianapolis or surrounding areas and you want to come on a Saturday, um, most likely, and play games with us. And, you know, probably we're going to be recording some sort of an episode there and it's going to be a magic show there and we're probably going to have some uh, raffle as well for, for, for some free games. So, anyway, more details to come, but it's going to be our first one, hopefully this year. Uh, a little bit after Jenkin, and then from from there we're gonna keep doing it if if it works fine. So I just wanted to throw the spoiler alert there, Jonathan. Get be a start to get ready with your list for Jenkin games for your pre Jenkin list because we're gonna have an interest an interesting episode coming on for that. Huh? Do you have anything already? Um, well, I think they've already posted like 300 games. Um, I mean, some of them are ones that already came out within the last year that. You know, probably just didn't get an actual convention to advertise, but um, the ones that I can think of, I know there's an expansion coming out for Rift Force, which was a nice little two-player um, back-and-forth card game um, from Capstone Games, I believe, so it'll just add more factions to that. Um, and just recently announced there is a new Clank game oh, where that, yeah. it, still, it still has a deck-building aspect in the dungeon crawl, but instead of having the board from the original Clank, it is a tile... Um, placement laying game as you explore so the dungeon will be different every time but still have the main clank mechanisms so um you know i know we're both fans of clank or clank yeah. in space so i think this one will be interesting to see i don't know if it's just demo or if it'll be available but to see how that tile placement changes some of the game um so those are the main two i have and then um i'm just interested to try out scout which was one of the um one of the spiel de Jaris nominations for this year Yep. Um, and I heard it's a great little card game, so I'll be interested to check that one out as well. Um, that's all I have so far, but there's still another month, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of games dropping on that list to yeah. to check out. Yeah, like I said, hopefully that episode will come on air two weeks prior to Gen Con, so stay tuned for that one. It, there might be an episode between though between that episode but you know just stay tuned i promise you we're not going away another month <laughs> we we're going to try to to put post those episodes more often so anyway thank you amazing listeners uh for another episode we had a blast we talk about four games there are more games to come up for uh solo bg podcast remember to follow us in our social media at instagram facebook twitter solo bg podcast if you want to reach out uh, via email, you can do it at solobgpodcast at gmail.com. And just remember that SoloBG Podcast is part of the Dice Tower Network. Check out other amazing pod, uh, podcasts and content creation over there at dicetower.com. Under the network section, you can you can see all that good stuff over there. Jonathan, anything else that you want to add before we say goodbye? Um, I guess the only other thing I thought of... Um... So if you are a fan of Hellboy or the game sounds interesting or the comic sounds interesting, there was a Kickstarter for a documentary about um, Mike Mignola, who was the creator and artist of Hellboy. Um, and I think they're going to be doing a screening of the documentary um, at Gen Con during the film festival. So if you're interested in Hellboy, um, look for Mike Mignola drawing monsters. Um, and that could be a good way to get a, a Hellboy fix while you're at Gen Con. Um, and hopefully Mantic will be there with Hellboy stuff as well. So yeah. lots of Hellboy. <laughs> well, I will. I will need to. You will need to fill me out on that because I will. I'm always open to, you know, to events like that one, like with a, f- a film festival and documentary. So we, you know, we might be there too, and and then give us your give us give you our impressions after Jenkins. So anyway, that was it. This was episode one twelve. Thank you so much for listening, and like always, until next time. See you through the speaker and at the tabletop. Mm-hmm.
Drink tequila, spend summer at a Mexican bar Stephen Austin, Davy Crockett, and I'm driving my car Maybe life is simple and I'm making it hard Go!